Well, let's turn to uh, our chapter that we read, and chapter 10 of Proverbs and verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Last week, we looked at Proverbs 28, 13, and we saw another way in which people cover their sin. Now, let's read that together, Proverbs 28, 13, where he says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So we have two very different uh, 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 views here. One is talking about concealing transgression in a wrong way. Another is talking about concealing in a positive way. And we're going to look at how the writer makes that distinction. But we saw how people cover their transgression, how we tr cover our transgression. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Sometimes we can be expert in doing that. We are also always engaging in self-justification, especially if we lose our temper. Uh, we sometimes cross that line from righteous anger to sinful anger. And the Bible warns us about that. We saw how sometimes we conceal transgression by renaming it, as uh, society today does. It will give it a fancy name, an alternative lifestyle, or something of that manner, to make it more acceptable. Laws can be passed uh, to cover transgression. Parades can be uh, engaged in to, to celebrate transgression in an attempt for society and individuals to cover over uh, and to do what they can not to face uh, head-on that sin. And as a result, when sin is not confessed, when it's not faced up to, uh, it leads to disaster. It cuts us off from God's grace. We feel no need to seek after that. But we see uh, where uh, he goes on, but whoever who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Such plain language. Whoever confesses to acknowledge our sin, but not only that, uh, to engage in repentance, to turn, that our faith is a living faith, our faith is uh, a holy faith that turns from our sin and seeks and pursues a life of righteousness. So we saw there that a, a, a very dangerous way in which we are warned about to not conceal our transgressions. We will not prosper, but the moment we confess them and acknowledge them, come clean before the Lord and bring them out before him, we are immediately met with his mercy. And we explored that at some length last time. But tonight we look at, we want to think about verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Or as we sometimes say, love covers a multitude of sins. Now what is he talking about there? What is he getting at? He says first, let's look at the first part of that verse. Hatred stirs up strife. Hatred stirs up strife. Hateful spirits are not satisfied to to forgive and to forget. They insist on stirring up, dividing people. 
It's the complete opposite of what love does. We see that in the work of the gospel. Love reconciles. Love brings people back together. Love builds bridges. Even when the person themselves is the offended party. Hatred, on the other hand, not only uh, harbors uh, bitterness in their own soul, but they are not happy until that is being spread abroad. And isn't that the, the nature of evil? When we are gripped in the grip of evil, we are not satisfied simply to have it within ourselves. We want to spread that among others. We want to see others at, uh, at one another's throats and divided against one another. But love does the opposite. Wicked people take, take uh, great pleasure in turning people against one another by whatever, rumors, misrepresenting the facts, or throwing a different shade on how something is said. Uh, you, you, you find that sometimes, don't you? In conversation, you might be talking to someone, and they're relating facts about something someone else said. And they may exaggerate a tone to make the other person look bad. Maybe you've done that. Uh, 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 and sometimes when we, when we think badly about the person or want to put ourselves in a better light, we will misrepresent maybe not what they say, but how they say it. And that is also an expression of hatred. That is showing a lack of love to your neighbor. It doesn't matter whether they are your enemy or not. How something is communicated is almost just as important, if it's not as important, as what is communicated. Uh, and and uh, sometimes people do that. And out of a hateful spirit, something can be presented in the worst possible light. And say, so they will use words that will arouse suspicion or arouse uh, 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 bad thinking about the other person's motives. And we have to be very careful at this point. Jesus gives us instruction about, in, in so many places, in the Bible as a whole, in terms of dealing with our enemy, that God desires truth in the inward parts. And we don't start to manipulate that, given the situation, given how much we want to make of the situation? Do we want to cast ourselves in a good light? Do we want to put our enemies in a bad light? No, at all times the Lord seeks truth in our hearts. And it's a mark of wickedness and hatred to misrepresent uh, someone else. And, to, and in doing so, to stir up strife between individuals. And so we must, uh, we must honor that commitment that we uh, are, uh, have to the truth, to speak the truth at all times, to properly represent people, whether they're in our presence or not. Hatred stirs up strife. But, he says, love covers all offenses. Where the wicked brings up something that wasn't there before, maybe creates an atmosphere of suspicion and hate, love seeks to cover over what might be a legitimate cause 
for strife. It, it, it's, it's, it's there. There's no getting around that it is there. It's, it's an actual reality. And so he says, there is an offense. Love covers all offenses. So there is an offense. There's something real there to be dealt with. It's not manufactured as what the wicked do. The wicked are stirring it up. They're creating it through their innuendo and through their lack of love. But love can deal with something that, it is, that, that is there. It's, it's a legitimate grievance, perhaps. And so this is the tack that love takes, that even though it is a legitimate grievance, love for the sake of the welfare of the person, for the glory of God, seeks a different line of address. We need to think about first what it is not. Uh, when he says there, love covers over all offenses, we are obviously not to think that we, through our actions, can atone for someone's sin. That's not what he is saying. We don't have that power, do we? Surely, one of the things that we are thinking about this morning was that Jesus, at the center of the throne, the Lamb in the midst of the throne, uh, is the only one that can reconcile us unto God. He is the only one that can deal with those offenses that we have before God. So, if, if, uh, if, this, if that were the case, then Jesus died for no reason. We don't have that power to atone for sins, do we? So that is not uh, what he is saying here. Neither is he saying that, um, that there is no place for us to address sinful behavior in someone else. If there is offense in someone else. The Bible speaks in many occasions, even in the book of Proverbs, that we can take people to task over the things that they have done. Think, for example, what he says in Proverbs 27 at verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. So he's, he's not saying in, in talking here about covering offenses that you never deal with the offense. You never deal with the person's sin. That is clearly spelled out in many other parts of the word. But what he is saying is that love does not draw undue attention to the wrong that the person has done. Instead of exposing the, the person in, a, in an unjust or unloving way, love seeks to endure, seeks to uh, look beyond the offense, the personal offense, to reach the other person. It doesn't put the other person, as it were, on a stage. It seeks to uh, think about the person in the best possible light. And so, uh, love endures these uh, wrongs in order to reach the other person. It will put up with any personal attacks uh, in order to reach the other. This is 
an idea that was so prevalent in the minds of many of the New Testament writers that is quoted in the New Testament on several occasions by uh, Peter, James, and Paul. James quotes it uh, directly in James chapter 5 when he says, He which converts the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James is taking this from uh, the angle of evangelism. That the believer in the world thinks about the unbeliever who may be even in a, in a hostile position toward the believer, but will for the sake of love seek to manage the offense, seek to manage any kind of hostility in an effort to reach that person that their highest goal is that person's soul. And so James says, he says uh, that uh, whoever converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James is uh, uh, suggesting here that we are to be uh, aggressively seeking the good of others and to model our Savior in doing that. John Calvin says on this, he says that uh, James teaches that sins are blotted out before God. There is no better or more excellent way of covering them than when they are wholly abolished before God. And so what James is saying is that, that when you are dealing with someone like that, your highest goal is not simply to reconcile you to the other person. But James is saying something far greater can be at work here. That not only will the offense between you and that person be taken out of the way, but hopefully that the person will be reconciled to God and that their sins as a whole will be dealt with by God. That is the, that's what James is getting at there. He shall save his soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. And so Calvin says they are wholly abolished before God. So you can see what is at stake here as James puts that verse in a, in a light that goes beyond simply one-on-one -on -one relationships. It takes, a, it takes that person to a higher level. Peter quotes it, of course, in terms of uh, the fellowship among believers in the church. Above all things, have a fervent love among yourselves for love shall cover a multitude of sins. In other words, in a growing church, in, a, in an active church, where the devil is always trying to get in, that attitude, that principle of not being offended with everything someone says, uh, is a stabilizing influence among the fellowship. To be able to overlook an offense, to not make a mountain out of a molehill, for the higher good of the church, for the higher good of the fellowship of God's people. And this is something that we, as a church, are always to be thinking about. Do we let minor things, or things that are indifferent, become uh, um, so big that it divides us? And so, he says, above all, have a fervent love among yourselves. Looking beyond opinions, looking beyond things that at the end of the day do not matter. 
not being uh, offended with one another in that regard, but aggressively uh, seeking to to uh, uh, cover over those offenses. You may you may be hurt by someone, you may be disappointed by someone, but you feel for the sake of the unity of the body, the welfare and the health of the church, you're able to absorb that uh, offense. Paul suggests in 2 Corinthians 2 that we have to be proactive on this regard, knowing that the devil is always at work. That, that this falls within the the strategies of the devil himself. Paul says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, uh, uh, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, uh, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul is understanding this application of this principle that the writer of Proverbs is talking about in terms of undermining the work of the devil. He says, we are not ignorant of his designs. And so that overlooking an offense, this idea of covering an offense, uh, becomes a stabilizing influence in the life of the church. It becomes a, a, a way of doing spiritual warfare against the powers of darkness, who is always trying to subvert the unity uh, within Christ's church. Paul uh, himself, so we've seen James, how he has applied it. Peter, how's he, how he has applied it. And Paul, uh, in, I think, 1 Corinthians 13 props more indirectly, but nevertheless is there. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Rather than retaliating, we uh, seek to put the other person in the best possible light and deal with them in that regard. One person has said, where a hard severity sees nothing but sin, love sees a reason which puts conduct in another light and makes it appear pardonable, if not worthy. We may give the person the benefit of the doubt and say, well, that, that person may have some, something going on, maybe in their home or in their life, that's maybe causing them to act in, in such and such a way. You're not being asked to excuse sin or... Uh, depreciate the, the magnitude of sin, but you are, uh, you are trying to put the other person in the best possible light. And so Paul says, love is patient and kind. And so the Christian must forgive. Not highlight the other person's weaknesses or offenses, but to forgive as Jesus has taught us. The idea here is to draw a curtain over the faults of others. Much like Noah, uh, Noah's sons. You remember that story as uh, Noah comes out of the ark. And uh, it tells us there in verse 20, when the floodwaters had subsided and Noah and his family come out and the animals come out, and it said Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. 
he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from the wine and knew what his youngest son had done, to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers, and so on. And he says, verse 26, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So there we get a picture of an illustration of what the writer of Proverbs is talking about here. Rather than doing what Ham did and drawing attention, as it were, to the nakedness of his father, maybe in a mocking way, maybe trying to put his father in a bad light, Shem and Japheth back going, they take a cloak and back in over their father and cover his nakedness rather than drawing attention to it. And the Bible says that that is what we are to do when we are offended, when we are attacked. We become, in that sense, like God Himself. In fact, Proverbs 19 says, It is the glory of a man to overlook a transgression. Isn't that a beautiful verse? It is to His glory to overlook a transgression. In other words, to know that you're so satisfied in God, that, you are, that God is so sufficient in your life that you don't need that other person's affirmation. You don't need what that person uh, uh, gives you or doesn't give you. Because you're saying, I am satisfied in my Lord. I am satisfied in God. He tells me who I am. He loves me. He gives me dignity. I know him. And, and, and that frees a person, doesn't it? To know who you are in Christ then frees you to love even those who offend you. Those who sin against you. And that sense of being set free from people makes you like Jesus himself. It gives you that same spirit. I can be free now. To be like Jesus, I don't define myself by that person's opinion or by that person's actions. And you see that model, don't you, in, in people like Stephen. Father, do not lay this to their charge. He, his life and his heart was not eaten up by bitterness against his enemies. They know not what they do. Love was reaching out. Love was, was uh, tr seeking the good even of the enemy. Friends, it's a, it's a wonderful place to find yourself to, uh, with that level of freedom in your life. To be able to say, I, at the end of the day, am not put up or down by what this person is saying or doing. But I am free now. I'm free from the shackles of 
other people's opinions and, and, and I am no longer a victim of life because I'm now in Christ. I am in Him. And because I am in Him, I possess all things. And with that, I can now love the way God would have me to love. And this is how we manage what the writer of Proverbs is, is uh, uh, suggesting to us here. It's looking unto Jesus. It's saturating ourselves in the gospel. Thinking about what Jesus has come to do for us. Charles Bridges says that what is our brother's sin against us compared with our sin against God? In other words, when you consider how God has forgiven you in Christ, what is this offense? How easily it is then to discharge it, to dispense with it, and to move on and to seek unity and love among the brothers within the church. When you think of what is, what is your brother's sin against you compared to your sin against God. And how can we hesitate, Bridges goes on to say, to blot out a few pennies who, look, who we who look for the covering of the debt of tens of thousands of talents. Oh, let us put on the Lord Jesus in His spirit of forbearing, disinterested, sacrificing love. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It's a beautiful way. This is, this is the key to opening that up. This is why we continually say through Proverbs that Proverbs is not just direction and moral living, that the gospel has to be at the center of every proverb that we think through. That the putting it into action must come with the key of the gospel. Just as that was, uh, again, as we think back to what we're looking at this morning, Jesus is the key to everything. Not only reconciling us to God, but reconciling us one to another. And you take that then, you take that principle, and you see it applied in every part of Scripture. That's not to say that these things are easy. It's not to say that these things just come automatically to the Christian. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they come with, you know, you, you agonize over it. You lose sleep over it, maybe for days or weeks, and, and you wrestle with it because maybe the, the hurt goes very deeply. It can be... But you come eventually to that point where you say, surely one comes to that point. To say, if, how can I hold this against my brother? How can I let this these words or this offense grow into something so big when Jesus has forgiven me so much. I let the love of God then regulate my love for others. Isn't that true? Isn't that true of Jacob who served for Rachel, his wife, for seven years? And it didn't seem a long time because he loved her so much. That's the power of the love of God in our hearts. And it becomes, as the writer of Proverbs say, says, it becomes our glory to overcome an offense. What greater expression of Christ-likeness can you show in your life than by forgiving someone who has hurt you deeply? 
not to draw attention, not to misrepresent them or try to put them in a, a bad light, try to destroy them. But out of the newfound freedom that you have in Christ, to reflect the one who, while we were his enemies, he died for us. And therefore, it becomes our glory, as the writer says here, to overlook the transgression, because we are never more like Christ in a situation like that. And so Peter finally says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but he committed himself to the one who judges justly. So we see those occasions in our lives when we are hurt, when offense comes in. Not simply things that randomly happen to us, but to stand back and say, wait a second, my life is ordered by the Lord. It's directed by Him. Has God, maybe in His providence, brought this hurt into my life, this disagreement with a brother or sister into my life, so that I may rise to the occasion and show Christ's likeness and show that it is a, I, what I have is real. By setting that person free, by not thinking that I can use this now as an occasion to make myself look better and them look worse, because I am set free. I don't need that. Because I am whole in Christ. I am full in Him. And when we do, when we rejoice, when we delight in showing mercy as God does, then we hear that voice, well done. That's my son. That's my daughter. You are, you are demonstrating the Spirit that drew salvation's plan itself, that brought it down to man, as the old hymn says. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span on Calvary. And then that gives us the privilege of spanning gulfs with other people who may have hurt us or whom we ourselves may have hurt. And so we see it as an occasion. We see all these things as an occasion, not to grieve over or to be lose sleep over, but to be able to say, God has put into my lap an opportunity to show Christ's likeness to this person. They may be a brother. They may be an unbeliever. If they're an unbeliever, as James says, you have not only an opportunity to reconcile unto them, but through your example, to teach them about God's forgiveness, and in so doing, cover a multitude of sins which you never dreamed would ever happen when this thing began. Well, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, our gracious God, we pray for your help. We, we struggle with these things ourselves, Lord. How easy it is to let our tongues get away from us, to misrepresent what people say, to, to blow out of proportion or to exaggerate uh, the things that people say, people that perhaps we, we don't always uh, get along with. 
But Lord, we pray that you would help us in, on every occasion, even with, in dealing with people that we uh, aren't always on the same page with, to show Christ's likeness to them, to speak the truth at all times. For you are a God that desires truth in the inward parts. So help us, Lord. Help us as we sometimes struggle, when we don't see uh, these things as opportunities to grow in our faith. Help us, Lord, through those dark times. Ever remind us, O oh Lord, of your truth. That just as your love for us uh, uh, covered and canceled and atoned for the multitude of sin in our lives, help us, therefore, to be Christ-like in our dealings one with another. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.